Welcome to Saving You is Killing Me, Loving Someone with an Addiction podcast. Loving someone with an addiction is a life of chaos. This podcast is to help you take back your power and build strength, hope, and restore peace in your life. We use the science and art of positive psychology, professionals in their field, along with personal stories of hope, resilience, and strength. We hope you can discover how the courage to focus on you can help put your life back together. When you are in a place of exhaustion, hopelessness, and emptiness, we are a community that knows all too well the turmoil that comes from loving someone with an addiction. We are here to help you compassionately struggle well. Hey there, you're listening to the Saving You Is Killing Me, Loving Someone With An Addiction podcast hosted by me, Andrea Seidel. I'm the author of Saving You Is Killing Me, Loving Someone With An Addiction, and Saving Me One Day at a Time, Finding Light Amidst the Shadows of Addiction. I am here for you, and this podcast is for you if you're ready to find a way to struggle well to reclaim your power, and to live life happier while you're navigating loving or losing someone to addiction. I wholeheartedly believe that when you love someone with an addiction, your life gets damaged in some way. So since we can't control someone else's addiction, but we are greatly affected by it, the number one thing that we can do is take back our power and focus on us ourselves. Just remember that the thoughts and perspectives that I share on this show are mine and those of the guests on the show. So if you ever hear anything harmful or triggering, I'm pre-apologizing and we always aim to do better and we value your feedback as well as your permission to be human. So please use all the content here as educational and informational and not for the purpose of medical diagnosis, treatment, or prescription in any form. That being said, let's dive into today's episode. Hey there, Andrea Seidel here. I hope you're doing as good as can be. I am so happy that you found us. I always say, I wish we were meeting under different circumstances. This community is for you if you have had the shadows of addiction cast on you, upon you, and they are just bringing you down. And it is so hard to navigate addiction. And so that is what this whole podcast is about. That's what my books are about. That's what this community is about. And by the way, if you haven't joined the community yet, uh, we have a thriving, amazing, positive, uplifting, supportive group in Facebook. Uh, so please join us there. It's called Saving You Is Killing Me, Loving Someone With An Addiction. There are so many amazing people in there and that, you know what? We've all been through it. We've been through it or we're in the muck of loving or even losing someone to addiction. And so that is the place to be because you know we can talk to therapists, we can talk to uh, psychologists, but it just, you know what, sometimes we also need to speak with people who have been in the muck, who know what we are going through. And uh, and hopefully you can find a therapist or a coach who've been through both, who have been through it, but then they also have the amazing training. And so that's kind of what I bring to you here too, is my training in positive psychology, as well as resilience, so that I can help you through this challenging time as best I can, um, just to navigate its chaos. I 
always said, I'm not going to put my pain to waste. Um, you know, I'm turning my, my message, my mess into my message. And so that is what this is all about. This is, this is to help you and to make you feel like you're not alone. I always joke that I'm your new best friend. <laughs> and so I just don't want you to feel alone in this. And so I'm going through the line. I'm wrapping you with love. And I hope that uh, it just, you know, this, this message today can, maybe help you in some way, uh, even if it's a little part of it or some of it or all of it. Um, of course, take what you love, leave what doesn't feel good. And again, let's just, let's jump into this episode. So I have to say that oftentimes I felt like I was trying to help someone who didn't want to help themselves. And I hear this all the time within the group and with people in the group and just all over the place is this idea is, is that, you know what, we're trying to help someone, but they just simply, they, they, first of all, they don't want your help often. And also they simply just don't want to save themselves. They don't want to help themselves. They're not at that point. And I always say, okay, the definition of this is like insanity because we keep trying to help, but all our efforts go down the tube. And it's like, here, I have a whole bunch of things that are like analogies. So trying to help someone who has an addiction, who doesn't want to help themselves is basically insanity. So here are some analogies. It's like pushing a rope, right? Pushing a rope. So trying to help someone who doesn't want help themselves or to help themselves is, or more specifically, trying to help an addict who doesn't want help or want to help themselves, it's like pushing a rope. So no matter how hard you try to push, it feels like you're exerting all your effort, you're putting it all in one direction, but the rope remains limp and unresponsive. That's what it's like. It is incredibly challenging. It is so frustrating. It is so wholeheartedly damaging. And I don't know why I keep using this word wholeheartedly. It's like, it's so funny. If you've been listening to the past couple episodes, that is like my new word, I guess. I've just been, I'm apologizing and try and shift that word. And it just, you know, it's been coming a lot up a lot. Another analogy is trying to help someone who doesn't want to help themselves is like filling a leaky bucket. So you pour all your energy and all your resources into trying to help, but it seems like whatever progress you do make, it slips away. And that's exactly how I felt when I was in the muck. I was constantly trying to help him in so many ways and just be encouraging and be positive and, you know, leave, you know, inspirational messages, places, buy him supplements, blah, 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 blah. So you might be doing the same thing. So the thing is, is all this effort that we're putting in is really up to them, right? So trying to help someone who doesn't want to help themselves is like talking to a brick wall, right? Your words and your efforts are just going to bounce off it. And there's seemingly no receptivity or no response on the other side. That's what it's like. And so I love all these analogies. I'm, I love analogies. And so it's like, there's, there's so many, it's like talking to a brick wall or it's like herding cats, right? Every attempt to guide or influence the situation results in chaos, right? And unpredictable outcomes. So it's just, it's just so challenging. It's like swimming against the current, right? Your effort seems to be constant. You're constantly putting in effort, but your effort is met with resistance and it's a force that's pushing against you. It's like swimming up a current. That's what it's like. And I hope I depict it well. 
That's what it felt like for me in so many ways. It felt like I was just doing all the work and, oh my gosh, this person did not want to help themselves. And that no matter how much we try, you know, it's, there's no interest there. It's, they're disinterested. They're unwilling to participate. And it is so hard. It is so challenging. And you're just met with resistance. And so that is so hard. So navigating this heartache, when you love someone with an addiction who doesn't want to help themselves, that is hard. It makes you feel like your hands are tied. You have to watch someone go down a huge downward spiral and you feel so helpless. And that's why it's so important for us to recognize that this can be so emotionally challenging and taxing. It's such a hard journey and that this struggle can really bring us down. It can it can bring us to a place that feels really, really hard. It can make us feel helpless. It can make us feel frustrated, heartbroken, all those things. And so today I just wanted to delve into this complex dynamic of trying to help someone with an addiction when they don't appear willing and they don't want to help themselves because that's often the case right because we we know what's best for them we we know you know that life could be so great without this addiction and we see that they're going down this dark to this dark place and the demons are taking over and so we need to first understand addiction so Before we explore the difficulties of helping someone who doesn't want to help themselves, uh, we want to first understand addiction itself. Addiction, we want to make sure, and this was so hard for me when I was in the muck, I have to say, that it is so complex and that it affects the brain in such a massive way that it leads to their compulsive behavior. They don't care that it has harmful consequences. Once their brain has been affected by their addiction, uh, it, it, it goes into their reward centers, their dopamines are thrown off. Like they have influx of dopamine from their drug. They need more and more of their drug. If we're talking about drugs, we might be talking about porn addiction, gambling, addiction, same thing, is the reward centers of the brain are thrown off and they no longer have the ability to make rational decisions. They no longer have the ability to see things potentially as clear as we do or to have that gumption to to get themselves back, to get themselves and seek recovery. They may no longer, they, they don't see the harmful consequences and they don't see the need to help themselves. And they may not even see that there's a problem. They may be in denial of a problem as well. And so this rational decision-making and this their addiction is really what drives them. They prioritize their addiction over everything else, everything else, including us, the loved ones, the people that care for them so much. And that's why we want to help them because we're good people and we love them and we know the person that they were before addiction took hold. And so this is huge. So just knowing the complexities of addiction, that addiction, they are prioritizing their addiction. That is why they're not prioritizing helping themselves. And that is so hard. And 
it is just hard to understand that. And I remember not, I was saying like, why doesn't he choose us? We're such a loving family. We had such a great life together. And, you know, and that was just so hard. So I think the first step in understanding that we can't help someone who isn't able to help themselves yet, or they, they're just not in a place where they see the need to save themselves or help themselves. And so us trying to help them, we're going up against a force that is so challenging, so hard, and that is addiction. We cannot compete with addiction. And I always say that we can't compete with addiction. So a really good thing to understand, and this is my, the psychology coming out here is understanding the stages of change. And when we understand the stages of change, it might help us. It might help us understand, you know, and be more hopeful that they will start to help themselves or that they will make a choice to seek recovery because it has to be them. And so I really do emphasize this idea. And, and if we understand why some individuals with addiction resist help, it's helpful to also know the stages of change, right? Like why are they resisting help? Because they might be in a certain stage of change that they're just simply not ready to help themselves. They're not ready to seek help and go into recovery. They may not be at that place. And so I love the stage stages of change model is developed by psychologists, um, James Prochaska and Carlo de Clemente. De Clemente. And um, the models are, and I'm probably just butchered their names, but they are psychologists that created the model, uh, the stages of change model. And it really does outline and kind of helps us understand that individuals go through when they're contemplating behavior change. So when we know these five stages of what individuals tend to go through when they're kind of comp contemplating change, it can help us see, you know, where our addicted level might be on the path of that and also understand why you know, we're trying so hard to help them, but they don't even want to help themselves. So how do we help someone that doesn't want to help themselves? It's like pushing that rope or like talking to a wall. And this is why, because we're talking to someone that might not be in a stage of change. They, uh, the stage of change might be pre-contemplation, or they might be contemplating it, or they might be prepared for change, or they might be in active change or maintenance. And so those are the stages of change. So this idea here is that Pre-contemplation, in this stage, the person is unaware that they have a problem, right? And they have no intention of changing their behavior. So pre-contemplation is so common when it comes to addiction because they don't even know that they have a problem. I remember mine denied it. He's like, even when we weren't even together anymore and he disappeared, he still denied a problem. He basically said that we just weren't working. And so pre-contemplation is that stage where the person is unaware of their problem. They're in denial or they're just, you know, they're not, they're not wanting to admit that they actually have a problem with addiction. And so they have no intention to change because there's no problem. What the problem is probably is if someone's getting in the way of their addiction and they want to protect their addiction. So that's the first stage or that's one of the stages pre-contemplation. Another stage is contemplation. So this is where an individual actually recognizes, recognizes that there might be an issue 
They recognize that they might have a bit of a problem, but they remain ambivalent. So about that change, they don't want to make change. So they're kind of contemplate contemplation. They know that there might be a problem slightly in denial still, but they're still, they don't want to make any change. So that is contemplation. Another stage of change is preparation. So in this stage, the person starts taking small steps, small steps towards change, and they might be seeking out information. They may be reaching out for help. They might be reaching out for support. They might be, they're getting prepared. So preparation, right? They're, they're taking small steps towards change and, and, and that, that, so that's preparation. That's what we all wish for, right? And then action. At this point, the individual is actively engaging in change. They're adopting new behaviors. They're seeking help. They are actively engaging in change and making changes. So though that, and then there's maintenance. So that is when the person is basically you are working to sustain this new life, maybe healthier, happier habits, maybe, you know, so maintenance is just trying to maintain this new change that they've already taken action on. So you can see how understanding where your loved one might be in this model can help guide you and support you and help you in recognizing where they might be at, right? So those who don't want to help themselves, they basically are stuck in that pre-contemplation and contemplation stages. And there's actually nothing that we can do or say or help with in order to move them into preparation and action and maintenance. And so this idea of understanding the stages of change, I just find it so helpful uh, in terms of even for uh, even for, for us, those who love someone with an addiction, maybe it's a spouse, maybe you have been, you know, you yourself could walk yourself through these stages. I know I did. I went to pre-contemplation and then I went to contemplation where I recognized there is an issue here. I, he definitely has a problem with addiction. The way he's treating me is unacceptable, this and that. And then I moved into a preparation stage. I did because I knew that this wasn't healthy. And so I started setting up some boundaries. I started talking to people. I started seeking information on you know, what, what can happen? Like I talked to my lawyer and him being in the house and co-habituation agreement and this and that. And so it's, it's incredible how just knowing this, but the ironic part about it is that, um, like I, I was slowly, I was taking action and engaging and slowly making changes. And then I would get sucked in back into moving back into contemplation because I would get promises. And then I became ambivalent again, because he would promise the world to me and that he wouldn't do this again and this and that. So you can see how we move through stages of change, not just the addicted loved one, but for ourselves as well. So I just thought I'd share that because it really does help us when we understand this model, uh, we can understand uh, better, you know, where they might be and why they might be resistant to change and resistant to helping themselves. So some of the challenges that you might be facing um, when you love someone with an addiction who is resisting your help. So when someone is resisting help, it makes us feel powerless. It can make us feel frustrated. Basically watching someone you care about continually going down this destructive path while refusing help, it is 
it can make us feel so powerless. It's so frustrating watching this person go down this terrible dark path. And you might even question your own ability to make a difference. You might question your own ability uh, to support and love this person that you love. It is so hard. It makes us feel powerless and frustration. That's the challenge of loving someone who has an addiction, who's resisting help. Because we wish we could help. We wish we could, you know, support them. The other thing that it creates is this emotional turmoil where, you know, when you're loving someone with an addiction who doesn't want help to help themselves, it it just feels so frustrating. We might have feelings of anger, sadness. We might feel guilt, shame. We might just, you know, feel a sense of overwhelm and that emotional turmoil, a push and pull. It's like, I wish I could help, but I can't. There's nothing I can do. My hands are tied. There is so many ups and downs. And that is a huge challenge when you're faced with someone that doesn't want to help themselves. The other thing that comes up, and I don't like using the word enabling, but we might have enabling behavior where we attempt to alleviate our the suffering of our loved one, which makes a hundred percent sense because we are caring, loving, kind loved ones who are watching someone we love struggle and we're wired to support and help. And so what we might do is we're trying to attempt to alleviate their suffering. We are trying to help. Um, We might inadvertently enable their addiction, right? We might be providing financial support. We might be covering up for them. I know I did that loads. Uh, We might be minimizing to ourselves, minimizing. I'm like, ah, you know, you know, he, maybe he's just sad or me. Like I kind of made excuses for him. And so we might minimize the consequences of their actions. Mine got in a massive car accident and uh, we blamed it on black ice on the road, which it wasn't the case. And so you can see how you might be minimizing the consequences of their actions as well. So this is, that's a little piece of the enabling puzzle, but I don't share that for you to feel any guilt or shame around it. I'm just like bringing it to the table because when we're trying to help, uh, our helping that's met with them not wanting to help themselves can actually turn into enabling. And so the other thing is, oh my gosh, does this ever have a strain on relationships, right? It strains. We it, it completely, when we're trying to help and they don't even want to help themselves, it is so devastating, right? On relationship, it, it, communication breaks down, barriers break down, they, they break boundaries rather, they the boundaries keep, I don't know how many times my boundaries got repeatedly violated. I remember I made one boundary. I would I would never go again to an all-inclusive resort because of how much he would drink and he'd be passed out by like 4 p.m. And I just, I said, you know what? I The boundary I'm creating is that I will never go to an all-inclusive resort with him again. And like, if we go somewhere, it has to be like to a yoga retreat or like somewhere where there's not as much alcohol available. And a funny thing is that the last time we went to an all-inclusive was the last time I went on a vacation with him. So we stopped all vacations altogether because he'd rather stay at home and binge and not be with me and the family, which is interesting. So you can see how addiction has such a strain on relationships, on family members, on friends. And, you know, it's just, there's a huge impact where, again, we're 
if we just feel like we're trying to help them, all our energy and effort goes into that a lot of the times. And then there's resentment because they don't even want to help themselves. And so that's so frustrating. So some of the coping strategies for our loved ones, uh, for you who are loving someone with an addiction. And it's so funny because I find a lot of resources. They talk about, oh, here's how you can support, you know, uh, helpful helping and this like that. But I want to support you, right? I want to support you in that and encourage you to recognize that, first of all, the stages of change and recognize that when you're trying to help someone that doesn't want to help themselves, it's exhausting. And knowing the stages of change might help you because it might rec- you might recognize when you're, you're, you're exhausting yourself and you're trying to help something and you're going up against addiction, which is so hard. And so I want to talk slightly, just slightly, because you know, I'm all about supporting you, the person who loves someone with an addiction and not necessarily supporting the addicts in our life. But I just wanted for a moment just to talk about a couple of things that we can do to help, which is helpful helping um, instead of feeling like, you know, we're just sitting back and watching this all go downhill. So what we want to do is we want to wreck practice, um, some things that we can do and implement to help our addicted loved ones is practice active listening and empathetic communication. So basically, obviously, always choosing the right place and time to communicate a private space that you can have an open and honest conversation with our addicted loved ones. And just, you know, timing is is so important because you want to pick a time when you know that your loved one is calm, is sober. One of my boundaries with my addicted lover was I would never engage in conversations with him if I knew that he had the potential to be high or drunk. And so I would just turn into a stone and I would even say, I go, I'm not arguing with you right now. And I would just, that's it. And I would either leave the room or I'd turn into a gray stone and just not engage because I knew he was trying to push my buttons. So I can't emphasize this, choose the right time and place when when you can talk to your loved ones in a calm and obviously when they're they're sober or when they're in the right you know the right frame of mind and then also to listen actively so this is how we can help right i know for me i was so frustrated so many times with his behavior that it was so hard for me to let him talk because i was like just angry with him and i would judge him and i'd be like how can you do this like do you know do you know what you're doing to me like it was just so so hard to actively listen and offer a safe space for him and just hear what he has to say. So obviously practicing empathy. This is so hard as well. Like, you know, we're, we try to put ourselves in their shoes and we understand, but we, they need to know we're there for them about the same token. Oh, it's so hard, right? So because we're frustrated with their behavior, we're frustrated that they're not helping themselves and that we're offering all this help. So we're also maybe resistant and, um, feeling regret and feeling, um, just frustrated, resentful. That's the word I was looking for, resentful. 
And so practicing empathy is hard. So this is hard, but this is what the psychologists and everyone suggests that we do so that they know that they have a compassionate place to land where we might, they might feel supported. Um, I, some things we could say, like, I'm here for you and I want you to understand, I want to understand better what you're going through that can convey empathy. For example, um, we do want to hold back blame and judgment. This is so hard. I'm talking from a spouse perspective. Um, so this is so, so hard, but this is a suggestion too, so that we can, you know, so we can, we can be there for the person without getting their defenses up. So we can be there for them. Um, the other thing that they, the suggestions in the psychology world is to make sure we express our concern. So instead of like jumping into helping all the time is instead letting them know like that you're concerned about them and their well-being, And, and you can use statements like that express, I feel, you know, for example, I'm worried about how this is affecting you and our relationship relationship or, you know, uh, going from a perspective of, of expressing your concern is it has a, a shown to have a more powerful impact. And so there's no quick fix to this. And so the idea is, is I think the first step is rec recognizing that our helping isn't necessarily helping and that we're met depending on their stage of change. Uh, we're met with a wall. We're met with like, we're trying to push a rope that's just like not even going to go because it's limp. So it's unresponsive to our help anyway. And so that's about it. Like that, that just that perspective, I hope that it can help you gain perspective on, oh my gosh, like, oh my, I keep trying to help someone who doesn't even want to help themselves. I felt that so often. I said that so often. And so what I needed to learn actually was I needed to stop being so helpful. And I remember I did a podcast too on, I Googled how not to care, <laughs> how not to help because my help was being met with resistance. Anyway, I was getting in the way of his addiction and there's no way I could compete with that. So the best thing that you can do, the best thing that we can do is turn that helping energy onto ourselves, right? Turn it back into self-care. Supporting someone with an addiction is so emotionally taxing. It's crucial that we take care of ourselves simultaneously while we're trying to help them and recognizing that although we're trying to help them, we can't change. We don't know what stage of change they're in. We don't they may not want to help themselves and we just need to understand that. And so practicing self-care. So I always say self-care routines, establish those routines of regular self-care and just activities that can help nurture you, that can help look after your well-being, right? That can be anything like exercise or reading or read, uh, listening to a good podcast or reaching out to that best friend that you have. All these exercises or find good self-care routines that make you feel relaxed and recharge and making a list of them and planning them into your schedule, right? So, so, so important. 
Another thing that is so hard, but if you look at it from the perspective of what are you saying yes to, how are you going to protect your well-being? This is the boundary piece, right? So you want to think about what's going to keep you healthy. If you keep helping, 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 you're going to get depleted. And so you want to think, okay, like how can I, how can I protect myself? How can I protect and safeguard my mental health and my well-being? And so boundaries are there to protect you, your emotional and mental health. And so what you want to do is think about all the things that you're comfortable with and the things that you're no longer comfort comfortable with. It's almost like I've got the I have the right to be talked to with respect, or I have the right to not engage and not have arguments left, right, and center and have a peaceful home. Right. So think about, I always say, think about your rights and that'll help you with boundaries. And so, I mean, one of my boundaries I created is that, again, I said it earlier, is I'm not going to engage in arguments when he's intoxicated. And that really helped me. It was such a good boundary. And then like my boundary of not going to all-inclusive resorts because he he was, I, I can't even tell you how terrible he was that last time. Like I literally went out for my birthday dinner by myself and had strangers taking pictures of me in this cute dress. I, I still got ready. I still went out. I still did me even though he was passed out in the room and not even responding. And I could feel my blood boiling, getting worse and worse. And um, I decided then and there like, yep, okay, I'm still going out. I'm still going to put my cute dress on. I did my hair, my makeup. I went dancing. Uh, He did end up meeting me and he ate bread at the dinner. And then he went back to the room anyway. (laughs) Uh, so yeah, so, and then also what we want to do is reach out to supportive friends and family and support groups. I can't emphasize that more. Uh, It's just going to offer you a sense of community and allow you to share your experiences and also gain insight from other people that are going through a similar situation, right? And you can receive a lot of, um, inspiration. Like some things will resonate with you. Other things weren't, but go on your own path with that and just educate yourself, right? Knowledge is power, I always say. And I completely 100%, I, I have training in psychology, but I didn't know about this world of addiction. And, and so educating yourself, you know, about addiction, its effects, you know, and, and everything. And, and, and even like these stages of change is really powerful and just feeling, huh, that knowledge is power because I can tell they're in the pre-contemplation stage and uh, I, you know, they're not ready to help themselves. So it makes sense that no matter what I do is not going to help. And, um, and yeah, so then I can turn the power back onto me. What do I need? What are my, what's going to help me and my well-being, and what's going to help me with stress management as I navigate this, the complexities of addiction. And so that's really important. Right. And also, um, I can't, so this, this point is so hard, but I think the element in this conversation today is this whole idea of accepting what we cannot control. And so I really feel like, you know, we're helping because we're trying to help this person, you know, we're trying to pull them out of the quicksand, but we're getting sucked into the quicksand with them. And so recognizing that we're trying to help someone who doesn't want to even help themselves. 
And once we move into this place of accepting what we can't control, because we don't have control over that, understanding that we cannot control our loved one's choices or their progress of their recovery, it's such an essential step on our journey right? It's such an essential step because it's going to help empower us. When we accept that, then that's when we're going to really be able to recognize, oh my gosh, I need to take good care of myself. I need to focus back on me. I need to take my power back. And I need to recognize that I'm maintaining my own well-being and I'm in a better position to provide support when they're ready or when, you know, or not, or even just like to empower myself in my own life. And so addiction can be a long, challenging journey. It's chaos. And so I just really hope that this episode helped in a, in a lot of ways that, you know, if we're trying to push that rope or we're filling that leaky bucket and we're met with resistance, It is so powerful to know this, right? So trying to help those who don't want to help themselves is, it's going to drive us absolutely nuts. And so I really wanted to help you just navigate this heartache of loving someone with an addiction who doesn't want to help themselves. It's so hard. And I just wanted to offer that humanity to you and that permission to be human. It makes sense. But then also offer that, huh, it makes sense. So let's see what stage of change that they might be potentially at, right? Are they in pre-contemplation? Are they in contemplation? Are they in preparation where they're making small steps? Yay, that's good. That's a light you know, at the end of the tunnel. And almost removing ourselves from that can help. And the idea is, is that we need to focus on us, take our power back, focus on self-care, take the time to help ourselves and recognize that you know, sometimes we we can't, we can't help. We need to um, recognize that we can't help um, someone else's addiction. We cannot control someone else. We can't, I wish we could, I wish we could take it away from them, but, but we can't. So that's about it, my friends. I hope you got a lot out of this episode. And just before we wrap up, I just wanted to share some special news with you. Amazon is incredible. So Amazon, I don't really have control necessarily over the pricing, but sometimes they do price drops. And so if any of the messages or any of these podcasts resonates with you and you haven't gotten a copy of my book or one of my books from the series, Saving You is Killing Me, Loving Someone with an Addiction, and you want to save yourself and you recognize the importance of saving yourself, I am inviting you to go to Amazon and purchase your book because they've dropped the price of my book. And what perfect timing because it's the holiday season. And I just wanted to share with you, as soon as I saw that price drop, I'm like, oh, I need to tell my community. I need to tell the people who listen to the podcast. So Amazon has dropped the price. And so I really do uh, encourage you to go over there and grab your copy. And right now there's two to the book series. I have a children's book coming as well to support children uh, if there's addiction in the family when home feels heavy. And uh, that one's coming soon. I also have another adult one, should I stay or should I go kind of book coming your way to all these resources to support you because my passion is to help you find guidance and inspiration, just to help you focus on your own well-being so you can find courage to heal, to put put those pieces of your life back together. You know, when addiction, it's shadows cast on us, it is so dark, right? If that darkness is upon you, 
my books are here to help you. And that is what I'm here to help you with this podcast as well. And so I do encourage you to purchase that gift of self-care, resilience, and hope. And these, you deserve this, the, the resilience, the self-care and the hope is really what you deserve. And so I'm just feeding you love and compassion through the lines. And I really do encourage you to grab your copy. Now is the perfect time. Treat yourself to this gift, right? Of self-discovery. And so that's about it, my friends. I hope you have an amazing holiday season. I will be back definitely every week in in the new year. And um, I just wanted to thank you for being part of our podcast community, our SYKM community, and your well-being matters. And I'm here to support you every step of the way. Bye, everybody. Sending hugs. Thank you for listening. If you want additional support, you can head on over to our website at savingyouiskillingme.com, where we have a wonderful, supportive, compassionate community. We are here for you. You are not alone. We also have a private Facebook group and Instagram feed called Saving You Is Killing Me, Loving Someone With An Addiction. Be sure to subscribe here so you get the latest episodes. And of course, share this with your community and your support groups or anyone that's going through this struggle so we can all work together to take our lives back and restore joy. Thank you so much for joining me, not only today, but week after week. Although I wish we were meeting under different circumstances, I'm so grateful that I get to show up for you and share these episodes so that we can go on this journey together. Until next week, sending hugs.